Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. Our current series is entitled The Roles of a Man. We are led by Don Mutton, the singles minister at Houston's First Baptist Church, and Eric Reed, the minister to men and married young adults at Houston's First Baptist. We're glad that you're joining us, and we hope that you have a blessed day. Let's um, go to uh, page four, and let's just kind of look at our thesis here, kind of a working hypothesis. <clears throat> Page four in the old. Uh, what's that? Page four in the old. old. Uh, yes, yes. Page four, I think. It should say, what does a woman want for our operating hypothesis rules of man? I'm going to read that out loud. Most Christian women do not want to dominate or be dominated. Instead, women want to be led well, just like Christ is. Yeah, leading well, and so don't want to dominate or be dominated. How do we lead well? So we're going to look and explore that further. And as we look at we look at the idea of rules and laws. They are moral. They are absolute. We looked at the idea of principles. Principles have flexibility. We defy them, but at the same time, they are wise practices and best practices in terms of doing those things. As we've gone through now, a few of the principles, we went through principle number one. It has three parts, leave cleave and become one. We looked at those. The uh, leaving portion of it, we had a little uh, piece there about just emotional uh, detachment or emotionally leaving a family. And we have a little test there that might help you out. And so uh, in terms of emotional bondage. So if that should be about page uh, eight. But the concern is, is that if we do not leave and don't have never come to that principle of understanding what leaving means, then 100% of those folks cannot fully understand what their role is going to be. So we go back to this, the, the moral laws. These, This is a disqualifier. So if these are broken, they disqualify. They, they are, they're hindrance. God's forgiveness is greater than that. We look at the principles and stuff as we uh, don't work with those that oftentimes were less than best. And so that's going to lead us into then what we're going to talk about with the rules of men. Let's go on to uh, this idea of becoming one. Again, for you that are single adults here, we're, we're again, in, in, this is a role of a man, not just a role of a husband or a role of a father. <clears throat> Application in all those principles. <clears throat> the idea is that we would place ourselves, in a sense, the idea of uh, the church gives us the perfect picture of where we put that to practice. It's uh, the, we are the since Christ is the bride, uh, the, the groom. We are the bride. We then put those things together. We leave and we cleave and become one with God. It has a perfect analogy between those two ideas. And so uh, how that works together. So it doesn't have to be wait until uh, you do those things. We're, right now we're at the, um, the responsibilities. Is where we've gotten to? I just wanted to say something uh-huh. on yeah, that. I, I thought that that principle that you guys laid out last week for leave and cleave was a man of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys make a point. If you don't get that right, very rarely will you get the right of the husband. Yeah. And I make a covenant think... salvation and a covenant marriage, and there's a parallel between the two. Ephesians, yeah. it talks about this mystery that I'm talking about is Christ and the church. And so the, the understanding of how that is viewed, what we live in salvation, and what we live in as our role in marriage has parallels to it. You know, I think it's real important. If we, if we define manhood as only available to someone that's married, 
than, than Jesus, Paul, and other saints that we would look at were never, were never like really men, and we know that they are. So we, we have to understand that, that manhood begins the, the day you're born. You're born, a, you're born a boy. You choose whether or not you're going to go on the path of manhood or the path of what we call the protracted adolescence, where you put your passions first, and this never happens. You know, in other words, you just let yourself be led by your passions. And so it's real important if you're not married yet, you understand that what you do right now will set the table for you and create an environment for you to, to truly have a strong, healthy marriage and to be a godly man, no matter you're married or single, whatever, you know. And if you're married, it's never too late to start. Um, God's grace is good, and there are marriages that have been in the tank that God has restored. And so no matter where you are, God wants us all to sort of move down this path of the rules, the principles, the roles, and move into your uniqueness from there. We talked about the idea that this is to be, uh, uh, be done in order, and the responsibilities in terms of, uh, kind of go this way. Let's turn to, um, let's turn to, let's see if you have passage here, sorry. Let's turn to um, Genesis chapter 3. No, uh, 2. And let's go to chapter 2, verse um, 24. Somebody read that verse, and this is again, talks about this idea, this one principle that has three parts to it. And so leave and the cleave and to become one. Let's look at the responsibility. Who's responsible? So who's held responsible in the order... If it's so important. Somebody read that, that For passage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The word join is the same word as cleave, and they shall become one. Who's leave written to, according to that verse? The man. It's written to the man. The man. Who is cleave written to, according to that verse? His father and mother. Mm-mm. Look at the verse. And the man shall leave his father and join with his wife. Written to the man again, isn't it? Yeah. And then it says, what's the next part? Then it changes, though, in terms of responsibility, and the two shall become one. And so the becoming one is written for both. So you have this idea, then, of his principle number one, is that it's written to the man, he should leave. Number two is he should cleave. And number two, then, the two should become one. So our hypothesis is that if... A, man, a woman does not want to dominate or be dominated if uh, she wants to be led well, then in a sense the man leads out of this. Let me show you how this works in the marriage uh, uh, ceremony. Who enters the room first? The man does. The man does. Who in a sense then is brings the daughter or the wife into the room? Father. The father. They bring it down and so then what happens is an exchange takes place. The, the dad brings the, the wife to the man who's entered the room first, and there's a little part of that that says, you answer a question, do you promise to do these things? It's the intent is made known. I intend, so he says, here's my intentions. And it's kind of odd because we keep putting the guy first. So the guy has to answer the intentions first. What's your intentions? He's telling the father this, the, the pastor is simply the proctor. He's telling the father, to, he said, I plan on doing this with your, with your daughter. Then the daughter says, I plan on doing this with, with him. So then he says, with this, who then gives this bride to this man? 
Okay, kind of, kind of interesting. And he puts her hands together, as we do, and puts his hands, their hands together. And what it's basically showing is a picture of this man walking into the room, taking responsibility then for the marriage and for the bride. And then they walk onto the what they call high church. They walk onto the, to, onto the altar or walk up the stairs to the point of saying, say, now all these proclamations, this man takes responsibility for as he entered the room, as he proclaimed his intentions, she then welcomely joins him in terms of what, where he's leading her. That, that makes sense? It's a perfect picture of all that being taking place. So let's look at this uh, uh, last part. So then, if that is true, man is responsible for whether marriage works or not. Whoa. We don't like this very much sometimes. But we're responsible. Man is. We are responsible for whether a marriage works on. Men have an awesome then responsibility to be lovers of their marriage, warriors for their marriage. Uh, they, they're, they're, they have the opportunity to be a warrior for their, for their church, a warrior for society, a man to be able to step forward and lead. And so a man is responsible whether marriage works it out or not. In fact, you see this again later on, don't you? When sin enters the world... Who does God go to? He goes to Adam. Adam, where are you? Didn't, didn't God know that Eve had done this first? Why did he say, hey, Eve, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? <coughs> he went only to Adam. And so you see this. And so the principles are some of the things that, in fact, let me, let me give one more thing. thing. If, if we as men, I believe, want to allow evil to triumph, I think all we have to do is nothing. I think if we don't lead, I think if we don't step forward, if we let it passively go by, I believe that evil triumphs at that point. I believe the way of us, the way of the men, so goes the way of the church, so goes the way of your family, so goes the way of society. If men don't step up, if we don't say, hey, now this is all you have to be forceful. Now we're going to talk about the idea of how to be lead without necessarily saying, oh, I'm bigger than you are, I'm stronger than you are, you got to do what I say. We'll talk about how that works. That, uh, yeah, yeah, good luck, yeah. No, no, I that way. And so how do you lead appropriately? And so we're going to learn four, uh, three more principles, the principles of, of learning, leading, and loving. We're going to learn about those. Yeah, I, I, want to, I want to take that very first principle of, of learning. Can those blanks one more time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, man is held responsible, so has a, an awesome responsibility to be lovers of and warriors for. This is uh, on your page. It should be. Twelve. Page 12. Yep. Men have an awesome responsibility. Be lovers of and warriors for. Then you put that behind a society, church, marriage. You put the whatever, whatever venue you're in. You'll go to that point. Be lovers of and warriors for. Those things. I think that one of the great places then this can be applied easily, or in a sense, should be first attempted, tried, worked through, is the church. I think it's a, it's a little, little less personal than in your family. Sometimes you try something new, and your family says, like, "Ooh, I'm not sure." Um, your, I think your work environment. I think can create these things. So when a, when a there's a tension in the, in the work environment uh, between men and women, or between you and, a, and another person, I think it's your responsibility to say. How do I best handle this? I think you take the lead in it. I don't think that's being mean or thinking less of. I think it's simply saying I step up and I take responsibility for, which is, I think, a pretty cool thing to do. And so you take responsibility for that. And then the last three blanks are the principles are learning, leading, and loving. And I want to I start on the, the learning. There's a verse written in there from 1 Peter 
And uh, who would uh, who would read that out? Just read it out loud here. First Peter three seven. <coughs> There is a little cautionary tale at the very end of this, and we're not going to camp on it too much, but, but what was the potential of not actually doing what Peter just wrote down at the very end of that verse? There's a consequence that can come upon us. Prayers are hindered. Your prayers are hindered, okay? Now, I'm not, I'm not throwing this out. This isn't a, probably a one-to-one correlation, but I will just say... As we look at this principle of learning and and leading and loving, if we do not, as men, get it and learn it and do it, I believe it will be a barrier between us and God. It won't be an insurmountable, eternal separation, but we will find that our prayers are ineffective. If you all look back in the Gospels, there were times that the disciples prayed and things did not happen. There are times that they prayed and unbelievable things happened. And it was always whether or not they were rightly, deeply connected with Christ, whether or not they had sold out to Him. And how we learn, how we lead, and how we love reflects, I think, first and foremost, our heart for Christ. And so in this, there's a phrase that says, dwell with them with understanding. Another word of saying that is, when you live with them, seek to understand them. People say that every leader should be a learner. Well, if we're going to lead well, we have to learn well. And so the knowledge that we're talking about is, is emotional, relational intelligence. It's not, it's not factual. I mean, it's great that I know that my wife was born in Lubbock. It's great that I know that it was September 2nd of 1966, and she probably wouldn't want me to tell you that. I've learned that, I've learned that from now. What's up? My wife's a lot younger than yours, I'm sure. I'm saying that to be quarter. That's, that's right. That's right. It's great that I know that, that she went to Springwoods High School, that she played volleyball and softball there, that she went on to UT and played volleyball at UT, that they won a national championship in volleyball while she was playing for them. It's great that I know all those things, but I tell you what, anybody on the street, any classmate of hers, any friend of hers knows all of that, okay? Those are mere facts. What we're talking about is relational, emotional. And so let me, let me give you a little bit of that. So the, the knowledge includes, number one, past experiences. In fact, we asked a question of past right here. Right. The past experience. You know, that's, that's more, that's deeper than just a information and fact. Yeah, past experience, those are important things. If I really want to know my wife, I do need to know about her past, where she's been, what her goals were. The, the positive experiences in life, negative experiences in life, struggles that she has, but also present knowledge of my wife. We're going to talk a little bit about, about what that looks like, how that may change. And the third thing is future information for that. And, and let, me, let me give you an example. How many of y'all would say you're the same person today that you were a year ago? Raise your hand. If you're, you're the exact same person today that you were a year ago. And I hope none of us would raise our hands. I hope that in some form or fashion that we take steps forward in life, but sometimes we take steps backwards in life. There, there are years that I could say that I was not as close to Christ as I am today. There are also years that I could say I was actually closer to Christ probably than I am. That, that I'm, on this, I'm on this continuum, 
And I'm hoping the end result of it is always going up, but there are some downtimes I still experience. That's normal. That's normal. My wife, part of the understanding way of me dwelling with her is I have sought to understand, knowing what I know of her past, knowing what I know of the present, and her goals and hopes for the future, I've tried to understand her in a lot of different ways. Uh, One way, an example would be love languages. In other words, how does she receive love? How does she want me to communicate love to her? Is it, is it with words? Is it helping her around the house? Is it affection? Is, you know, is it me giving her a gift? There are a lot of men that they spend their life and they give gifts to their wife. They buy them all sorts of things and the wife never feels the value of that, never feels the love of that. If the husband would have taken time to understand the heart of his woman, his wife, he may have understood that what she really wanted was some quality conversation every day. Not $20,000 worth of jewelry, but having quality conversations. Those of you that have dated someone before, that's a great thing to discover even in dating is, what do they value? How would I communicate I really care about you? Obviously, there are barriers and boundaries that God has given us, rules and laws that deal with purity, sexual purity, that we don't want to cross that just to find out, (laughs) right? But in marriage... God has basically opened up the entirety of your experience to say it's all, it's all available to you. Dwell with her in an understanding way. Honor her. Cherish her so that your prayers won't be hindered. And so as we talk about this, my wife, when we got married, her love languages, and I, I probably need to speed this up, but her love languages were basically quality time, a little affection like some physical touch, and some gifts, and it was basically in that, in that order. Time with her first, having a good conversation and time, then some affection, and then at the bottom of that would be gift-giving. One of the things that, that they say is a love language is acts of service. But once we had a kid, and then we had a second kid, I asked her, Honey, how, how do you want me to show you that I love you? Because I know it's changed because you're, you're frustrated. I can tell we're disconnected and you're frustrated. And she, she, was, she laughed, but she said, service, service, and service. She wanted me to change diapers. She wanted me to clean up the poop. She wanted me to help feed the kids. She wanted me, when I came in from work, it was her time. And I learned this from Don. I mean, Don said, Eric, you've got the greatest opportunity to, to literally love your wife. When you come home, it's your time. You're riding on the white stallion, and you're coming in, and you're rescuing her from all the kids. And you, it's your time. Grab them all and play with them. Grab them all and help them with their homework. Don't, don't just come home and veg out and sit down. And he shared that with me after we only had two kids. And now with four kids, it's all hands on deck. And even then, it's not enough some days. You know, it's like it's very busy. But it's great that I have to understand my wife is going to change, which means I have to learn currently and stay real time knowing her deeply. Not what she liked when we were engaged, not what she liked when we dated, but what does she need today, spiritually, emotionally, and physically from me? And a wise man will learn those things and apply that to bless their wife and lead their wife. My brother, real, real, real quickly, is that our goal in all of this is not to manipulate people or manipulate ladies. Uh, how many of y'all know what the term player means? He's a player. Raise your hand. 
If you were a player, raise If you are a player, raise Okay, I never was because I wasn't that good looking. So anyhow, but I had the sarcasm down flat and good, and that's what won my wife. Um, hey, my brother was a player, and, and in many ways still is. I mean, he is unbelievable with girls, but he always, he's a student of women, and yet he can't, he can't have a healthy marriage. He's really great on the dating side and all of that to figure out what a girl wants at a bar to get her where he wants him to be and uses that information. He never has used it to build up a lady and honor a lady and cherish a lady and make her more Christ-like. He never has. He hasn't been able to keep a marriage together. And I believe the reason why is because he's used this God-given gift called learning for selfishness and for pride. And my, my, my word out to y'all as we wrap up on learning is ask God, how can I become a learner so that I might build up others, other men, other women, and the body of Christ? That's where it begins. Don's going to take the, uh, the well, next one. I'm going to hit on your blanks because a few of you really want to know what those blanks say right there. Did so I hit it? I didn't hit Past them. experience, past, a, a, a present knowledge. And a future information. Oh, honor. honor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, okay. honor Honor means to place high value <laughs> upon. So there was, that was just one of those words in there that you go, like, honor, what does that mean? So Yeah, giving value. honor to the wife. It literally that, means to place her upon a shelf, to lift her up. You don't put your, your, your trophy down in, in the, on the floor. You put it up on a shelf. In a sense, you put your wife, you lift her up. You give her a place of honor. The way we do that in family is Denise sits in the front chair. See, she... She doesn't sit in the back with the kids. She, when the kid sits up here, she sits in the front. She's, she's queen. She gets honored. And the whole promise of all of this, connecting rightly with your wife, connects us rightly with God. The whole deal of that is that we want to establish a marriage clinic for our children, that they might see the rightful way a lady should be loved and led by her husband, the rightful place for children. Children are not the hub of the marriage. Marriages where children are the hub will not last. Christ has to be at the center of the husband and the wife, and the kids are blessings into that, but they will never be there forever. They will actually move out and start their own families. They will leave, they will then cleave, and they will become one. And that's God's design. It's good. It's, it's great that kids don't live forever with their parents. So if you're not married, you can still do this. And here's, here's a couple examples of it. When you walk into church, you honor them. As you see children, you honor them, you say, and you talk to the, the parents through the kids. So you lift them up. A little Johnny, I'll never forget his name because I heard it 60 times, one McDonald's. It's Johnny, 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 Johnny stops. Johnny, don't do it. Johnny. Grandma was hollering to Johnny the whole time. Johnny would not listen. Johnny had just closed off Grandma. Finally, Grandma had to leave, and I was really pretty tired of hearing Johnny's name. And so I was kind of thinking, hey, Grandma's going to leave. Yes, this is good. Johnny, 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 come here. Johnny, put your shoes on. Johnny, get out of the boat. Get out of there right now. Now, what in the world? This is unbelievable. This goes on for about five minutes. Finally, I go over and go, Ma'am, can I say something? Uh, yeah. Johnny, you need to listen to your grandma right now. You need to come out. Johnny goes, like that, just perked up. You need to come out. Your grandma loves you, and she wants you out here, and she needs to leave. You need to listen to your grandma right now. Yes, sir? Yes, sir. He walked right out, put his shoes on. She goes, thank you. She was so distraught, didn't know how to do it. She couldn't get in there, went in there, grab him, and do it. So she was just... You, you don't have to wait for this to be some other out there like, well, I don't have kids yet. I'm not sure. Uh, being an uncle. Man, you get the greatest opportunity to show what it means for... See, Brad gets the... He, he's just been hurt too many times. 
So you get to reinforce that for Brad. You can say, hey, man, your dad is really cool. Let me tell you, your dad loves you. And hey, you know what? When your dad hauls your name, acknowledge him. Let me hear it. You know? So you get to reinforce, and now you have to be super uncle and even a super brother at the same time. And so you get all that. So there's application of this other than just waiting for those things to come in place. So this idea of placing high value upon the lady, placing high knowledge upon her and learning her, understand that can be then applied outside of that. The loving idea, uh, someone read um, Ephesians 5, 25 through 31. Ephesians 5, 25 through 31. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Make her holy, cleansing her by the washing uh, by the washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This principle is, is, is a perfect uh, example of how we can then model this. We then love God. We love him first. And as we love him first, what we find is who we are. We find our identity. We find out that we're loved, we're secure, that he is not fooled by our, our silliness, our thoughts. He sees us before. While we are yet asleep, Psalms 139, while we are asleep, his thoughts are towards us like the sand on the seashore. And that's just why we sleep. You think about what he'd be thinking about us as we're awake, as we interact, as we're involved and engaged. Just while we sleep, he thinks about us and loves us that much. So our love for God is expressed and given to him because he first loved us. He's not waiting for everything to be perfect in your life. He loves you. His love for you then motivates you and changes you. Out of his love, his motive is love. And out of that, then we say, God, I am not anywhere near you. I don't have any understanding of this. God, could you change me? And from that, then love for God, we then appropriate understand ourselves. Here's your place. You're big. I'm small. You're the sun. I'm the moon. I simply reflect who you are. I can do nothing more than that. But I can be the songs of a lot of people if I express that brightly. So let me express this brightly, who you are and how you reflect in my life. So those things, and so we love, love God and our appropriate love for us. And that then gives you the appropriate ability to love her. And so as you then love God, understand who you are, and love yourself appropriately, then at that point, you love your body. You eat every day. You take, you take care of yourself, maybe some better than others, but you do things that are comforting to you. And so the same thing as you do for yourself, then you express that to your wife. This is not a call to being a doormat, okay? Some of, you, some of you will marry strong ladies. I love strong ladies. I think it's super. Nothing against that. This is not a call to them being less than. This is a call for you to say, hey, let me walk up, stand up, and be the man I need to be. It's not a doormat idea, not having a spine. It's an invitation for you to lead well, to lead kindly. My favorite leader at Canacook was a guy named Chris Cooper. Chris Cooper never yelled. He didn't yell. Everybody listened. Um, was it Dungey? I think the first uh, Dungy. Tony Dungy. Yeah, Tony Dungy says, guys, first day of practice, this is as loud as I will talk to you all year long. You need to listen to everything I say. What I say will help you. What I say will help us. But I will not yell. What I say is valuable and it will make us better. You need to listen. Everybody understand? 
and he has an unbelievably disciplined team in terms of response to him. It's, 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 it's uncanny. So it's not an idea of just getting heard and being heard, but it's this idea of leading well and doing that appropriately. And so how can this be expressed without becoming egotistical or selfish? How can you express this kind of love without it becoming, though, love ourselves, love God, love ourselves? How do you do this, though, without becoming selfish or egotistical? Is that possible? Well, yeah, I would say you're the decision maker, but get them involved in helping you make a decision on a lot of things. Absolutely, like, great idea. You know, me and wife, she knows that when it comes to big decisions, it always comes to me, but I always make it like she's helping me make the decision a yeah. lot of times, and great it makes idea. it work out good. Perfect, yeah. Someone else? I, you, I hope that as I continue to grow in Christ, that it transfers the world to love out and brings Christ's love into me. Yeah. That when I love my wife, it is as Christ loved me. Yeah, that's, uh, and Beth Moore says, uh, since we feed the good dog, and, and the bad dog gets starved. Instead of trying to fight against evil, we say, hey, I want to press into God and can become all more godly. What happens is you displace, so to speak, those things that are, are ungodly and displace it from our heart, absolutely. And then at that point, you're expressing more who God is. Great, great words. What else? It's not easy. I think it's impossible. But I think with Christ, and as we yield ourselves to Him, I think it's absolutely possible to do it exactly like he wants it to be done, allowing him to do that through us. Eric? Yeah, on the, uh, the the leading, which is built on your learning, and and in there you're, you're expressing your love, now you're leading. I want to look at Ephesians 5, 21 to 24. And the very first phrase there that you see is what? It's a command. Submit to one another. This, this command goes into the body of Christ. It goes uh, from man to man, man to lady, lady to man, lady to lady. In the body of Christ, we are called to submit to each other. Paul then takes a spotlight and he points it into the home. So he's making an assumption right here. There is a mutual respect. There is an honor. There's a, a healthy, I am trying to build up other people. Paul said it like this, that that the things that were of benefit to me, I counted them rubbish that I could draw closer to Christ. And then in doing that, in a sense, to build up others. So the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul said those things have been given for the edification, which is the building up of the body of Christ. So that's the foundation. And now the rest of this is going to flow out of it. It's going to be a specific application for marriage. And so I want, I want us to hear it. It says wives. And what's the command here? Submit to who? All men? To your own husbands. Okay? Now we already know that they're to submit to all men that are in the body of Christ as the same way that the men should submit to the ladies in the body of Christ, meaning we build each other up. But inside the home, they should submit to their own husband, not to everyone else's husband, to their own husband, as to whom? As to the Lord. Yeah, as to Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is probably one of the more controversial passages of Scripture, especially today, 
If you read this in Oprah Winfrey, prepare to be smacked down by <laughs> Oprah. Okay, she would basically smack you down. It's not going to be a popular verse, but I think if it's rightly understood, it gives great honor to the wife, it gives great responsibility to the husband, and it gives great glory to God. And so I want us to sort of walk through a little bit of this, because a lot of this, it says, much attention has been given to this word submit, confusion and misunderstanding has been the result. What this passage and concept of submission means is that the husband's role is to be the one, and this, this phrase is held responsible. Remember Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have both sinned, and God calls out on Adam. So we'll, we'll be held responsible for the spiritual condition and emotional <coughs> condition of our marriage. In biblical terms, it's known as headship. I want to... I Take just, just a moment on the submission. Let me give you a picture of it in my marriage, and it's probably a picture that any of you that have dated have experienced, and that is when my wife and I walk up to a door, and I'm coming up, I'm not going to open that, I think there's a class, these are locked, but if I get to a door, you're going to see my wife slow up, you're going to see me reach out, and you're going to see me open the door, and she's going to walk through. My wife was a four-year scholarship athlete, volleyball player. She's as tall as I am. We, I, if I cross-dressed, I could wear her clothes probably. But uh, we're, we're like the same size. We really are. It's like I married my, my clone. So it's, 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 it's not totally. Wow. <laughs> Delete that. Okay. Um, but as far as height goes, we're, we're eye to eye. The beautiful thing is she could open the door on her own, right? She allows me to serve her. Because she knows I have a responsibility of manifesting Christ's sacrificial love in our marriage. If she never gave me opportunity to serve her, I would never be fulfilling my role as the sacrificial servant leader in my home. Our marriage wouldn't give a picture of Christ's love for the church to everybody else around. And my wife would not be lifted up into a position of honor if a president's walking into this building, what I certainly hope we would do, whether they were a Democrat or a Republican, is that we would respect the office enough to open the door for the president and let them come in. So in our marriage, just a small picture, she submits herself to me so that I might open the door for her and serve her and love her well in doing that. Does that picture give you a little bit? It's not about ability or, or inability. It's not about value or lack of value. It is about the opportunity to express God's gracious love to the world around us and to my kids that get to see that. If we, if we get that right, I think it's all good. Submission is always, and this is the next phrase, a ladies to give. It's always a ladies to give, never a man's to do what? Demand or take. And unfortunately, in our marriage about seven years ago, I, I did make a demand of that in a situation we were in. We were both short-tempered. We were both tired. Both of our backs had gone out. I was laying on the floor, and she was laying on the floor next to me. And we were having in-law issues, and it was her mom and dad, and they hated me, and I sort of didn't like them either, and, and we were just getting into it. And I just told her, you need to submit to me. That is absolutely, and I mean this, wisdom prevails now is 
That's ungodly. You'll never find a verse that commands a husband to dictate, you must submit to me in Scripture. It's just not there. It is always a call from God to the lady about her spiritual condition. So if my wife seeks God, she will be submissive to me. And if I seek God, I make it really easy for her to be submissive to me because she sees that I'm putting her first, not my hobbies, nothing. I'm putting her first. I'm loving her well because I've learned what she needs. I'm leading her well because she knows my motive is her blessing, not her cursing. And so in this idea, the order of it, this is probably on the other page, the order of it is, is Christ is to the church, the husband is to be to the wife. And that analogy is only true, and I would underline that, it's only true when the man actually is submitted first to Christ and then sacrificially practices loving and honoring his wife. Those are not easy. There is not a switch. You will not stand at the altar to be married. I promise you this, and every husband in here will say amen to this. There is not a switch at the altar that you will suddenly sit there and say, I will sacrificially love and honor her now. If you didn't do it in the engagement, and if you didn't learn it before you were ever even together, you learn it in service in the church, you learn it by friendships with other men, you learn it by helping kids and, and people, widows and orphans, people that don't have as much as you. You learn it in how you love God and express that in the world. You can't just turn it on on your wedding day. That was some of the best advice. Sean Sears gave me this advice, and he, he was dealing with even purity, that how pure I want to be in marriage is how pure I need to be as a single man. He says those desires won't go away. Lust won't go away when you get married. You must learn to discipline yourself, living under God's rules and laws, and submitting your passions to that. Keep that, keep the priority, the priority, so that when you are married, you can live that out. And that's some of the best advice I've had. Um, we want to have a little bit of a discussion time, and, and it's we can do it at the table where you are. Um, I think you have a couple questions there. Yeah, I don't know what's and written then down. I think for I them. wrote one question. I don't think it was on there. Uh, when you hear the principles of learning and loving and leading, what are some barriers to that? Let's, let's talk about the potential barriers. Then how do you, uh, how do we as men grow in the principle of learning? I might give an example of, of a man that uses learning to propel you forward, to encourage and challenge you. Maybe you've seen that in another man doing that in your life. He really believed in you, and then they learned about you, and they learned how to, they may be a coach, it may have been a, a Boy Scout leader, it may have been a uh, been person uncle, at church, it could have been an uncle, it could have been, what's that? It could have been, yeah, yeah uncle, been, a yeah. brother, a yeah. father. Lots even. of different ways. So an example of how a man has used learning you to propel you forward to encourage you. And then finally, how can we as men begin practicing cultivating sacrificial love and honoring others? So those three questions. And then Eric and Kai and I will come back on that fourth question and uh, talk through that a little bit with you. But uh, those first three questions, we got about uh, we got about 10 minutes here. You can camp on any one of them that you like. But let's take a few minutes just discuss those first three questions there. And there's a, uh, this one right up here. One of those, is this one not in your book? I don't think no, that is. No. I don't think this one's here. So and write that down the, in there. The, the, these question and, and talking opportunities, I think the importance that we see is, <coughs> is if you don't bring it down to something practical for you, whether single or married, if you don't bring it to something practical, you're going to leave here, you're going to have some information, but you won't find your life being changed. You won't find growth. So this is an opportunity to wrestle through and think about and talk about and come to some conclusions that we can't tell you. 
that you and God will have to come to that, but often having a conversation with another man helps sharpen and refine that like iron sharpens iron. So y'all go ahead and talk through Take that. Take a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll answer that last question then. Feel free to move around. Yeah, if you need to move around, feel free to, to do that. They become barriers uh, in your life. And uh, Eric and I are going to give you a couple ideas, and then, uh, you know, again, this is not the end all, but these are a couple ideas that we think can be gigantic barriers in life. One is our struggle for commitment. I think one of the great barriers that can really hit us on this journey to be this kind of life is that we never submit ourselves. We never make a commitment to be underneath. We always find ourselves kind of always uh, avoiding and potentially, uh, remember our definition for manhood, that we would accept responsibility, reject passivity, that we'd accept a, a, a greater good, uh, that we'd be uh, uh, God's good. That's what I want to say. Shun passivity, accept responsibility. I mean, I said the wrong order. Lead, lead courageously and expect God's really greater reward. I memorized it. I've also got John 3.16 memorized on. <laughs> for, oh, okay, yeah. And so our, our struggle with commitment is oftentimes this idea of self-preservation. We are, we're not assured of ourselves. We're not experts in it. We're not as good as we'd like to be. I make a commitment to do it, but we're not going to be, as, we're not going to be perfect on it. We go to, by not making a commitment, then we, we, self we self-preserve. self-preserve ourselves so that no one looks down upon us. And so we find ourselves as lacking or moving away from any kind of commitment in our lives because we're afraid and now places up in light that we're not all that we wish we were. And so it's a, uh, it can oftentimes really be a hindrance to submission. It can oftentimes be a, res- a hindrance to saying, I take responsibility because if I don't ever submit to it, I'll never fail. Yeah, just uh, Pastor Greg gave me an analogy one time because I asked him, I said, how, how much pressure do you feel? You know, being, being sort of as young as you are, but being a pastor of a church sort of <coughs> this big and that a lot of people ask him to speak at different places and all that. So how much pressure do you feel on that? And he says, yeah, I, I feel a lot. And he says that, he said, the reality of it is, is that the higher, the higher people put you, you know, up on a ladder or up on a pedestal, he says, the more they can see your backside, so to speak. I mean, he was saying, it's like, if you climb up a ladder, people underneath you can look up and see. He says, when people, when people, when people put you up there, he says it's scary because they're going to see, they'll, they'll see more of your flaws, they'll see more of where you didn't do something right, and and so you, if you think about our society, there there is a whole part of our economy that's driven around catching celebrities and catching politicians and catching successful people doing the wrong thing, and you make a lot of money doing it, and so it does keep a little a phobia of commitment. You know, it's like, do I really want to run the company or not? Am I really qualified or not? And that self-preservation idea. And, and another area, Don and I, as we were talking about this, is that that men in general, we are competitive. Um, I mean, Brooke and I, we had lunch, was it last, or yeah, lunch last, last week Thursday. or breakfast? Okay, we're just talking about that, you know, that, that we're both, really, really competitive, and it gets played out in different ways in our lives, but the idea of competition is, is really, it's that idea of self-promotion, is even though maybe I'm not qualified, I want to look like I'm qualified, I want to appear to be much, much, much better than I am, and, and to be honest, it, it doesn't always have to be in the sports arena, it could be intellectually, it's whatever you value, it could be economically, you know, it's like, well, you see someone else drive a nice car and you're like, you know, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to save up and I'm going to get that car. And it, it could be, you know, in high school, it was like who had the hottest girlfriend, you know? And then every, once everybody got burned by the hottest girl, we realized it was like, we want a healthy, normal person that you can have a normal conversation with and that she has values. And I mean, it's like the girl you might have dated in high school might not be the one you'd want to marry later on in life. And, and this idea of competition, it's like, I think over all of that, whether it's self-preservation or whether it's self-promotion, at the heart of it is, I think we're not, we're not trusting God that he's received us as we are that he's spoken his word over us, that we are men, whether we're the CEO or we are the the bottom entry-level position, that if we're honoring God, we're working hard, we are men in and of ourselves in those roles. And at the heart of, what's at the heart of self-preservation and self-promotion? And there's a word that's probably right there in the middle of it. Self-preservation Self-promotion. Selfishness. And, and, and what's the biblical word for that? We say that it's the greatest sin, you know? Pride. Right in the middle of that's the letter I. And so... so in fact, you might struggle with commitment in and of itself. But if it leads you, though, to self-preservation, uh, that in itself, to struggle with commitment... We're not saying it's a bad thing. There should be, in a sense, as you make commitments, you should think through that. You should pray through that. There should be, in a sense, a struggle. But if it leads that to self-preservation, you're trying to just guard yourself. If competition leads you to self-promotion, really what you're doing is the reason competing is so I can promote myself. You say competition of self, when I use it then for self-promotion, use it for myself, then at that point, competition has gone the wrong direction. And so competition can be healthy, can be good, can understand things. But in of itself, it can lead us very often to be a barrier for being the godly man that uh, God wants us to be. And so the middle of that is the idea of pride. Yeah, Listen. Are you guys, when you talk passivity, you know, you mentioned that a couple of times, are you, do you believe that's a sub-element that gets a commitment or its own pillar? I mean, I, I tend to think that absence and silence can be a huge barrier to being the godly man. I've been reading that. Sons of Adam? Yeah. In fact, write that book down. Yeah. Want to, book 101 to say, hey, let's look at that. Silence the Silence of, of Adam. Adam. Yeah, the Silence of Adam is really some of the principles. Larry Crabb and Crab, two other, right, two other yeah. authors in it. What a great way to lay out from Genesis on how that's kind of called a curse, how we're wired, that we have that tendency to just want to. Mm-hmm. Check out and lay lay low and not engage when we need to engage. Well, and I even find this is interesting. I think as young guys, we may be more willing to speak up, and later on, we find ourselves uh, more silent. Right. And uh, again, I think that as we look at this idea of commitment, there's an idea of am I committed to, and then I, I pretty soon start getting, I don't want anyone to challenge me on this. I'm tired of the fight, I'm tired of the battle. So we go kind of the route of self-preservation again. The line if of I winner, say nothing, idea. yeah. If I say yeah. nothing at that point, then no one can really argue with me, and I, I'm never wrong at that point. And so this idea of, uh, I think, it, it, there's a lot of factors involved in that, but, but uh, passivity, I believe, in, in us as men, is uh, can be very insidious. It can be very, it can be just uh, without even thinking about it. Uh, we don't. It just happens. 
And we, we go, wait a second, why did I say something? Why did I speak up against that? Why did I say something for that and find ourselves doing that? Let's, uh, for time's sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on here. Those are just two areas that we think can, can cause you to struggle in this journey of being the greatest man that God wants us to be as we deal with these principles. Let's look at an overview because we're going to deal with four roles. So we've kind of laid the groundwork for this. So these foundations are being, again, remember these are not, we didn't go through all the rules and all that kind of stuff. We didn't go through all the principles. We gave four uh, pretty critical principles, but the roles we're going to talk about are coming next week. So as an overview, <coughs> remember the principles are operating all around us. We can choose to agree with them or to defy them, but we cannot do away with them. Simply stated, God holds men, holds us responsible. Our principles are not as strict as moral laws and rules. The following biblical roles should not be as uh, seen as hard rules or even, in a sense, as critical principles. Okay, Rather, high ideals that best position men for greatness and glorifying God. This positions you, in a sense, this one disqualifies. This makes you great. This makes us, as Eric said here, the idea of focus. And so being able to do that, so how, do, how can we say, God, we want you to do everything we can do in our lives. We want you to do as much as you can through us to glorify you. We're going to look at four principles. We're going to look at uh, biblical roles, a protector, provider, spiritual teacher, leader, and guide. If any of those words scare you, we're going to kind of unpack those as best we can so that they, you can see that through God's strength that God will give you the ability to do all of those. Okay. And so as we unpack the idea of protector, provider, uh, spiritual teacher, leader, guide. There's some characteristics that are going to be the idea of being the protector is the guardian. The idea of being provided is, is, a, is a one of strength, and then we get to, offer, to give our strength to others. So the spiritual teacher is the idea of discerning. It's the ability of being the detective, learning and discerning <coughs> things. And then the final one is that lead, uh, leader, guide. It's the idea of judging, I mean, making decisions and saying, here's what we need to do. I've heard evidence. I've understood. Now this is the best thing to do going forward. You'll see that we wrote down below... Not necessarily direct corresponding, but these are some of the rules of a, of a lady, and they have some real complementary ideas behind it. It doesn't make them less or more. But let's read the next ask, the next paragraph here. I'm going to just read it to you. Men and women can add from each other's columns, okay? So you can have a gal who can be a, a very uh, a spiritual teacher, can have some real discernment, can have that gift, okay? But they cannot forsake their roles, okay? So there's an idea there. So I have a friend who's a great nurturer, he can add to that himself. The fact he met, he's just unbelievably nurturing. He's good at that. It just, but he does. That doesn't mean he no longer is the provider, protector. He still has to do that, those things. And so, uh, a man may be tender and nurturing with a babe, but he is held responsible to be his family's source of protection. Another example is a woman who is a good administrator, may lead or guide in financial matters, but the man is still ultimately responsible for the financial health of his family. Here's how it worked in my family. My mom is good with the nickels and dimes. She's unbelievable with them. And so as she's good with those, my dad is a little just happy-go-lucky, I think. I don't really know, but he buys is... buys a lot of lottery tickets? What's is that, that? What you're saying? He didn't know about a lottery okay. ticket ever his life. Never did ever his life. He's, he's very good with his finances, but he can have... He's got $5 in his pocket. He's good to go. And I mean, that may last the whole month. <laughs> he just, oh, I got $5. That's good. I can get a donut if I want one. I don't really want one. Like, I can get one if I want it. And so he just, he's just happy as can be on that. But what mom and dad did was, dad said, well, you, you see where we should go. You give us a plan. Because mom was ready. She had an idea. Dad and her, though, then talked about that plan. Is this best? Is this wise? Um, 
Whenever there was a, if this was old days, now it's, I think it's a little bit more than this, but in the old days, if anything over $20, they had a discussion before they spent it. Okay? Now that's getting, my mom and dad, we had a garden, I mean, acres of garden, huge cornfields. I didn't need a can of green beans from a can. Literally, my mom canned them until I was 16 years of age. Okay? So, I mean, we ate from the garden because that's how we saved money. So, those, those things, my mom was good at that. My dad loved her and blessed her for being good at that. Okay, he was a blessed man for letting her be good at that. At the same time, whenever there was financial responsibilities and the decisions, at that point, Dad said, "No, I don't know if we need to go that way. Let's talk about that. Let's pray about that. Let's not make a. We don't have to make a decision right now. Let's come back in a day or two and think about that some more. And then they'd come back and make those decisions. I saw them many times looking at the checkbook, looking at the budget, and saying, "Man, let's make a little. Let's make a shift there. Being willing to say to us boys." You may want designer jeans, but we have money for Walmart, okay? If you want designer jeans, we pay for Walmart, you pay for the rest. And so as those principles just came out and those things happened, then at that point, we saw my mom's great gift. My dad blessed her by using it and was thus blessed himself, okay? He was still responsible for the finances of the family. They had a boredom maker on a welder's uh, salary. They pay for their house by cash, their, their car by cash. We've been out of debt. I don't know if they've had debt for, hmm, I, can, I can tell you, last house we bought was in uh, 77. And they were out of, uh, in three years, they paid off the mortgage. So 1980, since that time, four boys, two private schools, okay? So as you read those principles and look at this stuff, you say, he blessed mom, she had a gift, and thus he was then blessed for allowing her to use that. Let's look at the last part here. God's purpose in marriage is oneness. So this idea of oneness, let me, let me say it. God's purpose in the church Okay, is oneness. Okay, it's correlation is directly correlated. The expression of the church should be that we would have oneness when we leave the church. Okay, when we go to our family, it should be oneness. So the idea of God's purpose of marriage is oneness. This is unity with diversity. Look at all of chapter twelve of Colossians. Look at uh, first, Corinthians. First, first, first Corinthians chapter twelve uh, in terms of the diversity of the body, but it's unity and diversity within unity. And the results is mutual satisfying satisfaction and God glorifying. The result is mutual satisfaction and God glorifying life. I'm not sure we, we, we I know that's the right word, but I can't I'm not right saying it right. Mutual satisfying, my Mutually satisfying. Mutually yeah. So my, here's what my wife and I say it. Uh, we, we want to be in, for both of us, for our family, that we be mutually satisfied. And thus doing that, we are going to honor one another in the biblical way so that we can then glorify or give great attention to God. Glory simply means to demonstrate who God is. So how do we give God glory? By demonstrating our very life and our very relationship, what it looks like to be satisfied to love one another, to listen what makes her satisfied, listen what makes me satisfied, and to work through that so that we can have a mutual satisfied relationship. Make sense? Is that it? I'm yeah, I mean, we, we probably are We're good. pressing on the... Uh, okay. There should be a discussion sheet in there. I don't know. Are we, yeah. Yeah, is that we, in or out? You have at the very end there, I think it's right before that uh, over overview, you have a saying that says, one of the things you need to do on your own is say, what's one principle, what's one thing that you say... That was that, that challenge. That was a good reminder. That, that was something that I really learned of something new. And then put an application behind it. Think through how that looks in your family. That may mean, I, yeah. I was going to say, I would recommend doing it today, you know, tonight before you head out of here because a lot of you are probably very busy. 
So you're going to close this up, and the go-getters will probably go and read the scriptures and think about it and wrestle with it. A lot of you are not going to open this up again until next week. That's just reality. And so if you don't, if you don't go ahead and record, maybe what God is, maybe some phrase you heard, maybe a truth you heard that really did sort of come into your heart. It's, and you're like, you know what? Right, right like this. That's what the page looks like. It's, it's yeah. behind every principle. or uh, between And, and, and we're not asking you to share that with the whole table. If you want to share that with another brother in Christ, certainly do that. But, but record something down there so that you don't lose the parable of the soil that the enemy comes to take away the things that God speaks, that you don't lose what God maybe has spoken to you.